0: blog talk radio happy december the first to all the off the shelf listeners everybody out there in blog talk radio land to the very very last month of 2012 we're coming to the close of another exciting eventful that's for sure year and heading into a brand Spanking New Year, I hope a lot of you have have fulfilled a lot of your goals that you set at the beginning of this year and are are on track to fill even more of your goals before December closes out. This is the last month we're coming down the home stretch for December the 12th again before we welcome in a brand spanking new year and, and in just about 30 more days. I want to welcome all of you, our loyal listeners who've been with us for going on nine years Thank you. Thank you so much. And our our listenership just continues to grow, and I I appreciate it so incredibly much. As I always tell you, please go out, tell your family, your friends, your colleagues, tune in to this wonderful show, Off the Shelf, Saturday mornings, 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, if you're, if you're dialing in from another country that would be New York City time eleven o'clock in the mornings on Saturdays, and I have just been blessed with the wonderful guests we have brought over the last eight years. I've learned so much every guest I learned something from, and we have another remarkable guest we will be bringing to you today for those who you- you you this is might be your first time. We get a lot of first-time listeners who then come back and become loyal listeners. For those of you, it's your first time tuning into Off the Shelf. I want to introduce myself to you. I'm your host, Denise Turney. And as I always say, I'm coming to you live from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the city of brotherly love, and I thank you for supporting off the shelf and for supporting my books. Please go out and pick up a copy of my latest book, Love Pour Over Me. You're going to get mystery and romance, but most of all, you're going to see these intriguing relationships, and there's some high chase scenes in the book as well, so you'll have some on the edge of your seat moments as you read Love Pull Over Me, but you will see through these complicated relationships the power of love. I, I, I think you will be inspired and so incredibly entertained as you read and enjoy Love Pull Over Me. You may even see parts of yourself or other people that you you know and, and learn other ways you can even strengthen your relationships as you read and enjoy Love Pour Over Me. And you can pick up a copy of Love Pour Over Me today by visiting any online or offline retailer. That's Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, uh, Google Books, iTunes, you name it. It's an ebook and print. If you're at the store and you don't see it on the shelves, just walk up to the clerk, tell her you want to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me by Denise Turney. They can order it for you because it's carried by the largest book distributors in the world. And thank you again for that support. And do please let me know how you enjoy. Love pour over me. And now let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. Our special guest today is Wanda Coleman. She is somebody I've heard about. I, when, when her she came up uh, uh, as somebody to appear on today's show, and we are so blessed early and off-the-shelf. I used to go out and have the source for guests. And I haven't done that in years. Guests, guess, whether through their publicists, et cetera, come to us, and so I appreciate that. When I got Wanda Coleman's name, I said, her name is so familiar to me, but I've never had the, the privilege of speaking with her or meeting with her, but I've heard her name. So she's her books have been out there. She's definitely gotten out there. Her name is very familiar to me, and I'm excited about Today's show. Wanda is from the San Francisco area. She's a Christian romance author. Books that Wanda Coleman has written include First Sunday in October, Illusions. Right Package, Wrong Baggage, Silver Lining, and Unresolved Issues. Wanda Campbell has also contributed to anthologies like Mommy's Present and The Midnight Clear. Now, these are not all the books she's written. She's written even more. She is a two-time winner of the Urban Reviews Top Shelf Book Award. Coffee Time Romances Critical Review Award, and a three-time Black Expressions Book Club Best-Selling Author. What an achievement. And I'm sure that Wanda would love for you to visit her online, even now as you enjoy what she shares here this morning on the Off the Shelf Radio interview. Her website is WandaBCampbell.com, W A N D A B C A M P B E L L dot com. Again, that's Wanda B Campbell dot com. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Wanda.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Yes,
0: yeah, she's out on the road, you guys. This woman is a, she's a go getter. She said, "She said, even though I'm out on the road, I'm not gonna let that stop me. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna hook up with those off the shelf listeners and get them a treat this morning. I want to start, Wanda, by asking you: Did you grow up reading a lot of books when you were a little girl? Did you just like love, 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 love to read?"
1: Oh, yes, I do and still do, but I, I read all the time. Reading was like an escape for me, and uh, I, I read everything. You could always find a book somewhere around me.
0: Wow, and and I find that many, many authors, although not all, uh, they say that they were voracious readers when they were young. I want to ask you, you said you read a lot. Was there an event in your life, because a lot of people who read a lot don't, Don't ever go on to write a novel. But was there an event in your life that made you realize or think that you were a writer? And if so, can you share that event with us?
1: Um, I would not actually say it was an event that made me realize I was a writer. Um, But in 2005 was a very Mm -hmm. traumatic year for me. And at the end of that year, I just picked up a pen and pad and said, you know, I have these voices that have been in my head forever. Let me just see if I can do this. And I just began writing a chapter at a time and letting friends read it, not really having aspirations to write a novel or to be an author, but just seeing if I could write a story that made sense and It just went from there
0: you you your story as I was listening to you, I'm like, it sounds like I've interviewed her before, but i have <laughs> your story is almost identical to what another writer just had shared with me over a year ago here on off the shelf. Almost identical, she was going through some changes, and she sat down to write and That's how she got started as a novelist. Everybody gets started differently, and i'm always always enjoy hearing authors share how they got started as as a book writer. I wanted to ask you, did you try your hand at anthology writing? Uh, a lot of our listeners would love to be in your shoes and have published books, and I like to offer them tips. Uh, here on Off the Shelf that they can they can take to help move their own careers forward. But did you try your hand at anthology before you started writing and publishing novels? And from what you're saying, you, I know you said you sat down and just started writing one chapter after the next, but your first published piece, was it a part of an anthology or was it a standalone novel?
1: Actually, the first published piece was a short story in Kendra Norman Bellamy's anthology, The Midnight Clear, and it was titled... It was entitled "Mommy's Present," and uh, I didn't start out to be in an anthology. I had went, attended one of her workshops, and that's when I found out about an anthology. And so I just tried and see what I could come up with as a story, and ended up being in the anthology. And then a few months later, I self-published my first book. But um, I, it was a great experience. It just it, a lot of things in this on this journey has just like fallen into my lap. And that just kind of happened. I didn't desire to do it, didn't try to do it. It just, the opportunity presented itself, and I just took it.
0: Wow, I think that's amazing. It it probably shows you don't have a lot of resistance, and you're flexible and open. That's, that's That's a beautiful way to be. Would you advise someone who wants to get into the book publishing industry, which has changed tremendously, over the last ten years, I mean, ten fifteen years alone, this industry has really, really changed. Would you, somebody who wants to get in to the book publishing industry, they don't want to kick out a lot of money on their own for a standalone self published book, or or even like Simon and Schuster now. Is, jumped into the self-publishing arena, but their fees for their packages are pretty sweet. Would, would For somebody who just wants to get something out there, they can start building a an audience, they can start getting their name out there, which would you say from your experience would be a better move to come out with a standalone novel or to a part, as part of an anthology?
1: Well, you know what, I, I think it all depends on the project because you can be a part of an anthology that doesn't go anywhere and will still be an unknown, nobody will still know who you are. Um, So I think you have to look at who's involved in the actual project itself and how it's going to be marketed. And sometimes an anthology may have low-cost, upfront uh, investments, but as you go on, as you know, to promote yourself and to get yourself out there, you're going to spend money anyway. So... Sometimes it may be best to go ahead and do it yourself. So it all depends on where the author is. Um, so
0: it, it depends on what
1: where the author is in your career. And where uh, okay. Is, you know, I think I my experience was good. It was a great experience. It was actually my first experience, an introduction into publishing and how things go. Um, would I do it again as a first time? Probably not. Um, I can't say that being in it got my name out there any sooner than my own self-published book did. Ah, okay. No, I, I, I can't. I don't. I can't say that. Um, I don't see the proof of that. You know, but it was. It was a great experience. Like I say, it depends. If you're in, in a project with some. "Quote unquote big name people, and you know they have an audience that's going to pick up and get the book, and it's going to get in people's hands to give you exposure. Then that's good. But if it's okay. everybody's new and nobody knows anybody, uh, and then okay. who, who, who's marketing the book? How is it being marketed? You know, so that's another a whole other aspect. So it just depends on the project,
0: I think. Good points because you could think if you start off with uh three or three new authors." That they all put the legwork in, you could you could assume you would you would sell that many more books, but then you don't have maybe the 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 stronger marketing book marketing experience. But if you have a big name, one or two big name authors who are in anthology, yeah, that's a very good point that you bring out. I appreciate you sharing that. I want to talk about your books. When did you sit down, Wanda, and write? Uh, First Sunday in October, we know Mommy's Present was a short story, part of uh, the anthology that you were in. But when did you sit down and write First Sunday in in October? And and does the title hold any special significance? Uh,
1: Not really, other than the fact that in the book a lot of major events happen on the First Sunday in October. But actually First Sunday in October was actually written before the uh, short story. And, and first Sunday is what I began writing that day with that pen and pad. And um, it's, I mean, it was just like, it was really a labor of love. And but it was also a cleansing because I had these voices in my head for years. I just never knew what they were before. Yeah. So it was, it was, um, it's like after that, the dam just opened and I ended up writing eight manuscripts that year.
0: Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness.
1: Yeah, and so and, I, and there's and I'm just now getting all of them into print, you know, from all that time back. So uh, it it just opened, and I I didn't even start out to write Mommy's Present until uh, Kendra had introduced her project to me. I had never written a short story before, so it was it just started flowing after that.
0: Wow. Were you a standout student in English? Did you take any writing courses, you know, whether in college or any special courses in high school? You just you just sat down and started writing. I mean, you've become a best-selling author, so people might be thinking, wow, I thought you would have to take a college course or to really hone your skills. Did, did you take any special? <laughs> did you excel in writing in high school? Did you take any creative writing courses in college? You just sat down and started writing a book one day out of the blue and your career took a You on. know
1: what? Denise, I will be totally honest with you. Uh when I started writing, I hadn't taken a class in about well, since high school at that time. And and I barely passed that. <laughs> so uh twelfth grade English, so but I had no training. I was totally blue. Like I said, I was an avid reader, so I just wrote a story like I had been reading. I, I couldn't tell you a terminology or anything, a format, nothing. I just know I'm writing a story, and, okay, they should meet here, and then about this should happen, and, and that was it. And it just came from there. Since then, though, I have learned more about the craft. But when I first began, though, no, I had no training at all.
0: So no, no outline. We hear people say, you know, you got to use the outline. No outline, no character sketches. You just sat down and started writing. Yes, no,
1: and I still don't have what you would call an outline. I have little one-liners about a scene I want to write. I I do not do formal brainstorming or character sketches. I just know in my head this is what they're going to do, this is what they look like, these are their characteristics, and we just go with that.
0: Wow. Yeah, I sit down and write that way, but I've heard some people say that you should create an outline. For me, that's too, it felt too, um, constrictive, constricting, but everybody's different. Some authors, yeah. like yourself, you sit down and start writing. Can you give our off-the-shelf listeners a glimpse into your, your novel, First Sunday in October, without giving the whole story away? Well,
1: First Sunday in October, like I say, was my baby, my first one. And uh, it's actually set in the Bay Area where I live. It's a story, it's a Christian a Well, it's a Christian fiction novel, but I love romance, so all my stories have a heavy emphasis in romance, and all my stories are about relationships. So this particular story is about a wealthy woman who's single, single parent, and a pastor who's also single who reached his midlife point and discover that, you know, although they love the Lord and they're working in church, there's something missing. Mm-hmm. And they they find each other that they both have some very interesting past. Now let me say this, my story are not it's not about uh your normal average church folk. Okay, my people have problems and issues. They have a past and some have a present. And so they both have some little tainted histories that they need to work through and fully get over before they can get together. And so the story follows their relationship, uh, how they meet, how they get over their past. And once they get together, you know, we know life is not a fairy tale. There is still some things they need to work out. So that's what First Sunday is about.
0: Wow. And and, and something tells me, but for, for some readers who just love a happy ending, something tells me that First Sunday in October is a book that has a happy ending. How how soon after, now you said you sat down and wrote eight manuscripts and one year, and then now you're going through the process of getting those published illusions. <laughs> it sounds like somebody that, you know, and that's something that in everyday life uh, pe- people deal with. When you're just so sure about something, you're just so certain. You might even be so certain that this is the right person for me. You're just so certain about something, a career, uh, all types of things. And then you, as as you continue on your life's journey, you start to wonder, Wow, was I was I tricked? Was I wrong about that? What is illusions? That title jumps out at me. What what is is illusions about? You know, were you two people? I'm guessing two people meet and you think you're the one. You are the <laughs> one. And I've got you know, I hear people. Couples will say stuff like they'll say the same word at the same time, and they'll say we have got this connection or that uh, <laughs> little simple things that people just keep telling themselves. You're the one, you're the right one can you give us give us some background on illusions?
1: okay, well, illusions is actually the novel was actually a product of the short story um that I won the my publishing deal with Urban christian, and so I had the chance to turn it into a novel and uh, illusions is actually about a pastor who's struggling with porn addiction,
0: ah. And
1: And so he is married. He leads a a big flop, but he has a problem. And uh, his wife catches him in his little problem, and things just go downhill from there. And uh, so the illusion came about the the wife discovering who her husband really is and him dealing with who he really is and um, just a lot of untruths about themselves that they had to face and how he had to work through to get over his issue and how his issue affected his congregation. And also, I think probably one of the biggest illusions was how uh, church folks hide behind titles and don't know who they
0: are,
1: and how he lost himself in being pastor and couldn't tell you who he was as a person.
0: Wow. You're probably one of the first people I've heard say that openly. I'm sure a lot of people think that, because I think a lot of times when you're in not not just a, a a religious setting, but political, education, science. A lot of times, a lot of what we do is not for ourselves or our creator. It's to impress other people. It's to keep other people from criticizing us and judging us. I don't even think we are fully aware of how much we do that. Trying to do something, and it starts as kids. We want mommy and daddy to be proud of us, and it just carries on as adults. We don't know how much we really do just to gain somebody else's approval, and, and not because we simply want want to do it. Did the pastor have? Did the pastor have that issue before they got married? Oh yes,
1: he sure did. But uh, you know. She didn't know it, and of course, you know he figured he was okay. He can get over it on his own, like a lot of us
0: do, you know. But you know, he had it, he had it for years. My my blog talk radio thing just my came through my speakers, and now it's cleared itself up. So I'm I'm, I'm straight again. So did so? So could you tell me again? Uh, and apologies, but did he have that problem before they got married, or was that something that? Maybe problems in their marriage caused him to turn to pornography. No,
1: he actually had it before, and it, a lot of it stemmed from his childhood. You know, a lot of uh, times, uh, a lot of issues we have actually come from childhood and yes. problems primary relationships with our parents. And so he had to go way back and dig up old stuff. You know, mm. So, like you said, trying to please parents and not really knowing what you like and who you are. you spend, We spend our lives pleasing and being what people want us to be. And so he just
0: didn't know who he was, and that was his escape. Okay, with his parents, I'm I'm assuming were they or were they not themselves? Because I find a lot of times people who become pastors and ministers, their father was a pastor or a minister, or their mother was an evangelist, and it's really more learning than maybe what we call calling. It's something you just saw so much as a kid that you actually go up and grow up and do it yourself. Was he from a, a family that was very deeply involved in the church? Because that would create even more issues. I could see as a as a writer and a reader seeing all those complicated issues. His parents rooted in the church. He's hiding these problems. Maybe something his parents did even helped to cause the problem. Then he becomes a pastor, and then he. Were his were his were his parents deep into the church when he was growing up?
1: No, actually, they weren't into the church at all but her parents, the wife's parents were, and, you know, a lot of things are views on different things changed by generation. So as she's going through this, she's learning that, you know, her mom's generation didn't see anything wrong with this. You know, um, this is just what men do. So she had a lot of different dynamics going on in her life. But he didn't grow up in church, but she did.
0: Okay. I want to ask you next for, for people who are looking for tips and guidance on how to create stories Uh, that that readers connect with it. And I also want to talk about the contest you've won and your multi-book deal. But what process do you use, Wanda, that others can maybe get some tips and advice from? We know you say you don't use character sketches and outlines when you sit down to write a novel, but there has to be some process, even if it's just in your head. What process do you use to actually develop a book's character? Uh, There has to be some time, I would imagine, parts of a character you take away and add on how, what, how do you in your head create and flesh out your characters
1: you know that's a good question <laughs> and I never really thought about it actually what I my main goal with all of my characters I, I try to keep them real and relatable so I I do what I sometimes call I um I integrate myself with them I like become them and so I can feel what they're going through. Um, and I, I just really try to keep them realistic. I don't make them bigger than life, but keep the issue realistic and, and really try to pull out the pain that they're dealing with. Because I find that's what engages people is the realism of the characters because they can relate to them.
0: hmm Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So Do I, you? I just, go ahead. But
1: I, just try to, I just try to keep them real.
0: Do you look at... Uh, do you do you take your stories from t- things you hear in the news, from your own personal experiences, to to develop these characters like the pastor with the pornography issue? Is that something like you got from something you saw or read in the news? Uh, even more, how you're you're pulling information to create these characters? Do you do you do you pay attention to trigger things that come up in the news? to to say let me let me let me have a character do this to do this certain thing
1: actually, no, I don't most of my characters um are really a lot of my real life experiences either I have actually gone through personally or I have known others who have um but i i don't I do not watch television that much. And I do not get new uh, stories from the headlines. It just so happens some of my stories come out. It, it's what's going on in the headlines, but
0: mm-hmm. that's
1: not how they originated from at all.
0: Wow! Can you tell us unresolved issues? When did when did this when did this hit the market? And is this your latest is this your latest novel? Yes,
1: that is the latest one. It came out in August. Yeah, and that was one of the eight that I wrote that first year.
0: Wow! I think that is just phenomenal. <laughs> Let you, I'm like, you know what? For all of our off the shelf listeners who want to be a best selling novelist and win contests and do, do the things that Wanda Coleman, maybe you just sit down one year and write like eight to ten novels and spend <laughs> 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 the next five years publishing and marketing them. Wow, that's impressive. That is impressive. That's, you know what? That is actually a strategy. That's a strategy. <laughs> <laughs> consider using. I mean, I know you just sat down and wrote them. I don't think you. That that's just some part of your mind was really, really on cue then. But uh, so it hit the market in August of this year. So just a, yes. just a few months ago. Can you give our listeners a synopsis of unresolved issues? Something to really tickle them, so that they'll want to go out and get a copy.
1: Well, unresolved issues is actually the fourth installment to First Sunday in October. And uh, so you'll see the characters in First Sunday in October back in Unresolved Issues. But uh, in this story, the characters are Stacy and Derek, and they're newly married, and uh, they had issues before they got married. So, you know, again, I write about people I know and people like myself. So uh, like a lot of people I know, they got married when they didn't need to. They were out of time because they hadn't resolved their issues, and so they think everything is going to be perfect, but as soon as they get married, all hell breaks out because they haven't resolved these issues. And so uh, he leaves the home, she starts doing crazy stuff, and they almost end up losing their lives behind these unresolved Mm. issues. It's a a lot of self-discovery going on. You know, a lot of times in relationships, especially in marriage, you want to point the finger at the other partner, it's them and they didn't do this or they did this.
0: Right, and,
1: and throughout this story, you're finding out things about both of them that they need to work on, and and dealing with their own issues before they can really become one as husband and wife. So that's what unresolved issues is about. Um, it, it's like again, I write a lot about forgiveness, and
0: okay. they have to do a lot of that.
1: Well, how
0: how how can now you 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 write a lot about people working through issues? Working through, working through. I mean, I'm sure you think about throwing in a towel, but working through issues. And anybody in any type of relationship, whether it's with a relative, a, a sibling, a child, a friend, somebody that you're in an intimate relationship with, I mean, this is just what happens. We all, each of us, even dealing with ourselves, uh, find that we even with ourselves, we get frustrated. So I'd mm-hmm. be surprised that we get don't get frustrated with other people. Do you, do you in your writing, because sometimes things will surface in our writing, I mean, nuggets of wisdom, would you say that there are a few things that people can look for to see that someone, including maybe ourselves, have unresolved issues? If you're in a relationship with somebody or you're dating, you can see there's some triggers to see there's some unresolved issues here. Or have you found any signs within your research for writing or as you were writing? Well,
1: I, you know, like I say, I, I write about real life, so I have a lot of signs within my own life, you know. <laughs> I have plenty of my own unresolved issues and things that I have to work through uh, myself. So I write a lot from experience. But uh, one thing I found in relationships, uh, a lot of times we have those triggers where things look the same or they sound the same, and we lash out based on past experiences. Uh-huh. That's always a good sign you haven't forgiven. And the biggest issue I find is that a lot of people don't forgive themselves for the part mm. that they play. A lot of people have a hard time taking responsibility for their part. And so once we forgive ourselves, then we can forgive others. But um, a lot of times, you know, people build up walls. That's always a good sign. You know, a lot people get so close because of something that has happened in the past. Um, and I, I get it from a lot of readers all the time. It's, it's, what I get the most is that this has helped me to see myself. Wow. So, yeah, so it's, it's a process of all different kinds of signs that you know you haven't forgiven someone. You know you don't want to talk to somebody. You say, oh, yeah, I forgive them, but you don't talk to them, you don't go around them,
0: mm-hmm. you know, um,
1: that kind of thing. Um, you, you deal with people from a distance. So um, it, it's relationships are really complicated, but I found that they all go back to how you dealt with your primary relationships with your parents.
0: Yeah, 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 and, 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 and anybody early early on in your life, they say the, the uh, what the subconscious is formed from birth to five years old. So generally yeah. anything from that period, some people up to seven, that's where the, all the little nuggets are stored. <laughs> you just keep right, and you keep
1: crying. A lot of people don't see it, but when you sit down and get people to go back to what I call the root and just not deal with the surface or the symptoms of something, when you start digging and pulling away of why do you do this, it goes back to that
0: early childhood. You know your own. You know, and I would say this for most artists, whether they're painting or doing, creating music, or or writing, uh, uh, our own our own life experiences. And the more aware I think an artist becomes, the greater their art can be, because they can start to speak to universal issues that impact people across age barriers, cultural barriers etc and and that's I can just hear from talking to you that that is something that you that you have and sometimes it's just struggles working through our own struggles that help uh get us there. I absolutely love the book cover for unresolved issues and again for our off the shelf listeners who who are on the web uh, right now and maybe not you know some I know who are just dialing in and don't have access to the internet right now, but for those who do wanda coleman's website is wanda b coleman dot com w a n d a b c a m p b e l l dot com I love the cover for unresolved issues if you want to go over and check out the 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 book cover even as we t- speak to our listeners, you can go to her website and and look at it now. who designed the cover for unresolved issues?
1: Well, you know what? It's funny you would say you like that because I actually picked that cover and it was the first cover that I ever picked.
0: Wow. And, uh, yeah,
1: I just, I liked it. Um, you got a it, good eye. <laughs> <laughs> you think so? I, I just, oh, I like this. And the, the characters kind of re, uh, resemble the characters, the models on there. So I said, okay, I like this one. And so the publisher accepted it and we went from there. Okay. Uh,
0: what attracted Stacelin? What attracted her to Dr. Derek Garrison? Uh,
1: well, it, uh, he was a lot like her father in the beginning. Um, he treated her well. Uh, he he was had good direction and everything. Um, but, like, with most relationships, she saw the little red flags and everything. But you know how we do. We're going to fix them or they're going to change type thing. Mm-hmm. And so she just kept going. But he was everything she wanted.
0: And, of Are course, you, you
1: know, Mm-hmm.
0: Do you think women? Because I was going to ask you next if her marriage, and we know that you've you've told us they hit some they hit some bumps. Uh, uh, if it turned out as good, because as it thought it was, she saw these red flags, but she just ignored them. Do you think that women more than men say, you know, God put me with this person to fix him, to make him better, that to make it so that he's not abusive anymore, to make it so that. He can accept love. I find that women, I don't know where that comes from in us. I really don't. But has that been your experience, and is that the way you paint most of your female characters?
1: Uh, you know what? That has been my experience as well. I i have heard men say the same thing. Very few, but it's mainly women, and I think it's because we're just natural nurturers, and we always think we can we're there to help and to fix, you know um and i did it myself you know i've been married for 23 years and there were some things i saw that i didn't like when we were dating but i was young and in love and we was going to work it all out you know so um those things that i learned the hard way they don't go away you got to deal with those things but um so we do see them but i think women because we are nurturers we tend to go after the potential we tend to stick in there longer and you know, try to love them because a lot of times they we just think, oh, they just need a little love. Need somebody to be there for yes. they be okay. you know, and, and, and so we just do it. We just overlook stuff, and even in an abusive relationship, you know, well, you know, if I just love him a little bit, he'll get over that, you know, and sometimes you have to know when to walk away. But um, I, you know, I thank God by the grace of God my husband and I, we weren't, you know, that off, but there were some things that I know I overlooked and I should have said something about
0: Okay. So <laughs> you know that is a. I hear so many women, and I, and I don't hear that many men say it. It's been very rare where I've heard a man want to rescue a woman. I wish women would, and uh, we would stop. Doing that, men before men get married, they they have generally a very high criteria for a wife. The mm-hmm. uh, they don't, the criteria for a woman that they are this bed bad you know sleep with is not that high. But the criteria yeah. for a wife, a man's criteria for a wife, it is over the moon. And and a woman's criteria for a husband, it's like uh, something under the bottom of your shoe. And then we just tell ourselves we'll just work him up. And men do just the opposite. If you're not already, if you're not already pumping on all cylinders, they're not marrying you. And and we we are just the opposite. And I, I know. I hope that women stop and come out of that for our for our unborn children's sake. We gotta stop being the, the the repair women. We like the the we like the repair women. We just come in and here you got problems here. Let me fix it for you. We gotta stop that for for our children. We we really do. I believe for our children and our communities, we gotta start breaking that. Uh, why do you think people jump into marriages? Without, Without waiting to hear from the Lord. We, we, don't, we don't even want to hear. We don't even want to hear. We just want to jump in. Why do we do this? Even you know when we know what, how it turns out. You know, what,
1: uh, my husband and I, we were pastors over the couple's ministry for about 11 years. And uh, I, I saw there's so many answers to that question. But I think the main reason it all goes back to not knowing who you are and not really loving yourself, that you would settle for that, you know, knowing that you're, you're not with who you're supposed to be. Or it could be with who you're supposed to be, but not at the right time. Mm. A lot of times we don't let people develop. It'd be the right person. Like Derek was the right person, but it wasn't the right time. And uh, so a lot of times we're insecure, or sometimes we're getting older, we don't want to wait, uh, We don't. we're lonely. But I think the bottom line is that, If I'm not happy with myself, I will look for someone else to fill that void. If I'm a complete individual with myself, then I could wait for him to get together. I'm in no Uh rush. A lot of times we want that other person to make us happy instead of learning how to be happy on our own or being happy with who we are. Uh, We want a man to complete us and not we don't know how to be complete by ourselves with who we are. So there's so many answers to that question, but I think it all goes back down to being content with who you are and knowing your value. If I know my value, I don't rush and throw my value away,
0: Mm -hmm. and I don't
1: give my value to somebody who's not worth it.
0: Wow, wow. Wanda, how do you use your book's characters to teach that just because somebody is kind and loving and caring and a Christian, they still might not be the right person for you? How do you use Ooh. your book your books to, to to teach that? Your character? Well,
1: you know, in I, I try to get people and I, you know, that's such a good point because a lot of folks think just because we both Christians we should to be together and that's not true. Um and, and again it goes back to knowing who you are and knowing that just because somebody's kind to me don't mean they want me. And don't mean they're the one for me. And a lot of times it comes to knowing who, where your place is and where God is in your life and knowing that I need to go check with him and see if this is the right person for me. And a lot of times we just don't do that. So I I, I really look at how impatient my characters get and then okay. show what happened because they were impatient. This uh, is what happens when they don't do that. You know, so, and this is, you know, I, I, I'm very, uh, I'm very, as somebody told me last night, I'm very raw. Um, I'm very clear on how, what happens? I don't sugarcoat it. This is real. This is your life, and this is what's going to happen. And you may work through it, but a lot of times you don't. And mm. I find that the hardest part that I have found, especially in the Christian world, is to admit I made a mistake and married the wrong person. So mm. you stay there forever, and both of you are miserable, but because you don't want to admit, pride will going to let you admit, I miss God. I made a yeah. mistake.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, wow. I mean, your books are are. Get, see, when people hear like a Christian book, they sometimes are turned off because they think this is going to be so glossed over that <laughs> it's not. It's not even going to be real. It, it's going to be so glossed over. There's nothing going to be. It's not even going to be real life. I don't want to read this book. But your books aren't that way, and that, that's that's a fortunate thing that you you do show. The reality of it, instead of just glossing it all over and making everything sunshine. So, I'm and I'm sure your your readers appreciate that about unresolved issues. What have readers been saying, telling you? What have you been hearing from readers about what they feel about unresolved issues? Uh,
1: well, it's it's really been good. And again, a, a lot of people who married at a time, uh, they're really like, oh, I, I can relate to this. I understand. Um, and Derek is also biracial. So I get people who are biracial who had that struggle um, going on and low self-esteem. It, I, people really relate to him. And Derek is really more, uh, a lot like me, not biracial, but as far as never knowing his father and being a product of an extra marital affair And so I can really relate to Derek. And a lot of people relate to him and his struggle
0: and why, you know,
1: he did things that he did. And when I when illusions came out, the readers who were struggling with pornography and stuff, they were like, oh, I can understand this now. Now I see now. So it depends on the subject matter. Readers always come back and say they were there and they found themselves, which is a good thing.
0: And you probably, from your reader feedback, have had your eyes open, I would imagine, thinking, Well, I didn't know how this many people were dealing with. <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know why I didn't know this many people. As you as you get feedback from readers, that's something that probably even opens your eyes. We put on these fronts for for each other, again seeking each other's mm-hmm. approval, and we that's how, one way we don't work through things because we do stuff we hide mm-hmm. and do certain things, and then we come out with our public self, and we just look so different. Uh, um, I want to definitely say to you, congratulations on winning the Cruising for Christ Short Story Contest. What was that like when you found out that you won that Short Story Contest? What was that experience like? You
1: know, um, I, I, I must give accolades to my mentor in business, Kendra Norman Bellany. I mean, she has, she walked me through the process. I didn't that's what she was doing. But uh, she's really been a blessing to me. I had no idea what I was doing. I saw the advertisement, you know, a thousand words with a chance to have your story turned into a novel. I had no idea who the publisher was or anything. I just said, okay, I'll just do this. And I uh, I when I went on that cruise I I was just people kept coming up to me talking to me. And I didn't even realize that she had put the story in the program so he had already read it and they're talking to me. I was <laughs> about the first Sunday in October I, I was just so green, girl. I didn't know anything. And when I won, I was like, wow, oh, okay. And I still didn't know that it was Urban Christian involved at all. And I'm thinking, you know, publishers, they told me that publishers are so busy, it could take them six months to get to you and all this Mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. I got back, and two days later, I had an email from the executive editor asking me for the rest of the story, writing the story. All I have wow. is a thousand words, <laughs> and so I was like, okay, well, give me six weeks to come up with something, and uh, wrote that story, and uh, I had no idea. I didn't even know that the editor was one of the judges, so she had already stopped. Um, I I just, like, stumbled into that, and I thought it was going to be one book, and ended up being uh, three, and we've been renewing ever since. In fact, I just renewed with Urban, so its it's been a ride. That, that is that
0: over. is awesome. Now you just like you know that you you landed that multi book deal after you won the short story contest. What titles were included in that initial uh uh book contract and and had you uh, were they one of the eight that you had already written cuz that would have been just awesome.
1: Actually, no. Uh Illusions was the first one and then Right Package Long Baggage um, right Package, Wrong Baggage is a sequel to the short story, Mommy's Present. So I had the time. I hadn't written any of those two when I won the contest. I wrote those after. And then uh, Silver Lining. But, yeah, those were all new. So, um, wow. But, yeah. Did
0: did you, did you expect your books to take off? Again, is, your story is fascinating to me. Your story in and of itself that you just sat down one day in 2005 and just started writing because of some experience, personal experiences you were having. Did you expect your books to just take off and be as well-received as they have been before you ever published your first book? Did you did you say to yourself, you know, this is really going to be good for me? Not because your at first all. book was ever published? <laughs> Not at all.
1: I was just gonna see where it went, you know, I not at all. It it just happened. I I did not see myself six six or seven books later, five years later, I did not see that. I had no clue whatsoever. Because you know, my friends saw it and you know they say, oh, this is good, but you know your friends always say that,
0: you know. Uh-huh. So I didn't
1: know how it was going to be received, and when I started getting reviews and they were good, I was like, oh, really? Okay. I just, I'm telling you, I literally stumbled up into this. I really did. Wow.
0: And now, what what is it about your stories? We know you 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 as I say, keeping it real. You create realistic characters and you put them in realistic situations that people can relate to situation experiences that mimic uh, things that people go through every day. What else would you say, do you think it is, about your stories that that causes readers to connect so deeply with the characters and the plot uh, uh, so well?
1: Well, I think the fact that in the process of writing a story that's entertaining, I also write stories that make you think um, I you know, a lot of times we book they're just sensationalizing an issue and there's never any resolve. But in addition to dealing with the serious issue and keeping it entertaining, I also bring it back to the solution, which for me is Jesus Christ. And that even though we do these things and we have these horrible experiences and we do hurt that there is a remedy. So I always bring it it's gonna end on a positive. Maybe not like a fairy tale, but it's going to end with a solution, and that even though you're in this deep place, you don't have to stay there. And I think that's what makes the difference.
0: Okay, okay, that you can be forgiven, and you can't come out. You don't, mm-hmm. you don't have to stay there. I like that. You don't have to stay in a in a, in a bad situation for you, Wanda, and for off the shelf listeners who again they they tune in week after week, and they want to get some of them. Some of them just tune in to listen to the different guests and, and to what they share, some tune in because they want to hone their own writing skills and improve their own writing career. For those folks, what to you makes a book character unforgettable?
1: Um, keeping them real, keeping them human. Now, Again, my genre is Christian fiction, so for me it's keeping your characters human. Like you said before, don't make it so holy that we can't relate to it. Don't make it too preachy. We go to church to hear sermons. When I read a book, I don't read a book to hear a sermon. So keep your characters realistic, where everyday people can understand, what they're doing, and what they're going through. Okay. That's will there
0: the be? Biggest... Okay. That's. Will there be a sequel to unresolved issues? I mean, your characters are strong, and I, we've interviewed. Authors here who they that's what they do they write these series books. Do you plan to write ever a series a, a series books that go three or five books or more? Because your characters seem strong enough to carry a series. Have you ever thought about that do you, is it something that you would like to do? Uh, well,
1: like I said, Unresolved Issues is the fourth book in a series. Um I didn't release them in order, so it was first Sunday, and then Liberation, which is coming out, uh, I think at the first part of the year, is also in the series, it's the book before Unresolved Issues. And Unresolved Issues was the last book, I believe. Um so I haven't, I don't have a sequel planned as of yet. My book that's coming out in May, which is entitled Doing Me, is a sequel to the book Silver Lining.
0: Okay. Uh, But
1: I I don't have any series planned right now. I am also, Kayla's Redemption, I'm working on a sequel for that book as well.
0: Okay. So liberation precedes unresolved issues. So people who enjoy unresolved issues can learn even more about what caused those unresolved issues as they read liberation the title almost makes it sound like liberation should come after unresolved <laughs> issues but but because uh, you say unresolved issues now you're free of those 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 issues uh, uh as we come down to the last 10 minutes want to ask you when and why did you launch micah six eight books
1: i did that in 2010 and um uh, Actually, I, I just changed the name because it, remember I self-published first Sunday in 2007. So I changed the name and I produced an anthology. And mainly, I do that. Um, I use Micah to help new authors coming into business mm-hmm. um, who needs, you know, to get their stuff out there. And I use that that arm of the business is mainly to do a lot of training. I um, do my content editing services. I teach uh, writing and publishing workshops. And I do take on authors who are willing to understand the business and work. <laughs> yeah. uh, but that's mainly to help new people get in. And I, cause I, like I said, Kendra, she took me by the hand and just guided me, and I believe in paying it forward. So I use that to help other people. Okay.
0: In. Go ahead.
1: So that, that's that's mainly what that's for, is to help other people.
0: There is, and that's a lot of work, i got to tell you. For a magazine that I write for, Madame Noor, I interviewed uh, a best-selling author, and she said she also has a, um, you know, Zane has her her publishing mm-hmm. line, but the, it wasn't Zane who, I've interviewed her, but she wasn't the one. It was another author who is a New York Times best-selling author for urban literature. She said, all oh, the work, the work that goes into being a publisher, somebody who publishes, other people's stories but you said something that she also said she she prefers to work with writers who are willing to put in the work uh, there's another guy who publishes I think it's source books he publishes other authors and he was on a few weeks ago he said the same thing you've got to be willing to get out there and and really market your your books yourself and I think a lot of writers Years ago, I don't know if it's so much today, have you found with the authors you work with that people have this assumption, I got this book deal, uh, it's up to the publisher to really get my book sold. <laughs> oh, yes. to, oh, really? really? I'm oh,
1: not talking, but people that. tell me that. that has wow. I, I tell people, unless your name is Patterson or King, you can forget it. You yeah. need to get out there. You're the best seller of your book. You know, I I I have two publishing houses and I, my books are in the bookstores a week before they release, but I got to do something to move it off the shelf. You right. know, So you people don't understand that. Um, people still think, you know, I got this book deal, I'm going to be rich, the check's just going to come. Yes. You know, so when I sit down and I break it down, all down to them, now if you think you can still handle that, then we can work together, but a lot of people are very disillusioned about the literary business. And I think every published author should self-publish one book so they can understand the work that goes into it and how hard a publisher works. Then you won't treat your publisher so bad, (laughs) you know, because it's (laughs) it's a lot involved, you know. So I do find that authors think that, you know, my book is here, they're supposed to promote me. I I know authors who don't even have a website.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: yeah, I mean, little basic stuff like that. Uh, I, people who want to be an author but don't want to be on on a computer because they don't want their business out, you know, stuff like that. Okay, you're not ready. So it's, it takes yeah. a lot of educating people on what's really happening, you know, and, so, and especially with the changes with this uh, ebook. Oh my thing, goodness! You know they don't understand that. You know, okay, you may sell a, a thousand books, but if your book is only ninety nine cents, yes. Oh, you you gotta work really hard to build that quantity, you know. Yeah. So and then they don't understand that publishers put out money and they need to make their money back. They can, yes, they can yes. Get it back. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> the the one woman I spoke to, she said that a lot of the money. She said she still her books sell well because she started out self-publishing, but she said all of her writers' books don't. Some of them hustle harder than others. She said almost all the profit she makes off the sale of their books, she puts it right back into the business, right, exactly. right, right, sure. ba- right back into the business. Even the profit she makes off the sales of her own books go back yeah. into the business to support the other authors. And yeah, when you sell on your book at ninety nine cent, the distributor is going to get a cut.
1: If, exactly. If you have what e books yes. you
0: want, but the the retailer is going to get a, and it's going to be a nice sweet cut. And yeah. Whatever your e book publisher. <laughs>
1: They don't understand that it costs to have your books available like that. They
0: don't <laughs> yeah. know what
1: distribution
0: is. Yeah. So you you might you might see off a of ninety nine cent book a high thirty forty something cents. And if you you say, well, man, I sold ten thousand copies, I should have made ten thousand dollars. No, not necessarily. Oops. Yep. No, no, not necessarily. Yeah. Uh, how can writers who are interested and in, in working with Micah six eight books? And, and and do you also publish published books? Yes.
1: That's a fact. Exactly. I'm working on a book now. My, the website is micah 6 bookscom You can reach me there or my, I have commission guidelines on there or you can always email me directly at wbcampbell@prodigy.net, at net and uh, I we will evaluate what you fit in. I'll give you an honest opinion. I do not believe in lying and hyping up people and giving them unrealistic expectations. So um, we will evaluate. I do have our acquisition editor, Rhonda. You can contact
0: by the way of the website. Okay, okay. Micahbooks.com, Micah68books.com. Yes. Wanda, Wanda Campbell. Now, you're a Christian writer. i got to ask this question. What type of material does Micah68books publish? Well,
1: well, we'll publish anything that's edifying and encouraging. I do not do erotica, and I do not do sci-fi because that's just not a strong area for me. Um, but I like to—I do anthologies, memoirs, general fiction, things that are encouraging, things that will help
0: people. Okay. Now, you told us as we come down to our last uh, four minutes that you liberation's coming out early in 2013 and it's it's a part of the series of the same book that series that unresolved issues was in but it it actually the storyline precedes unresolved issues and then you noted another book that you have coming out around may are you currently writing on any new material And, and if so can you give us a glimpse into what that new material is I
1: will begin writing uh first part of the year I will be working on a sequel to Kayla's Redemption and also working on a release for uh 2014. So I I'm about to get
0: back into it full force. Got to get these voices out of my head. You you are you are one guy. busy 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 lady. When you say voices in your head, people always talk about writers. They say writers are really schizophrenic. They're, they're just <laughs> ideals floating around in your head. It's like this. I, we're not talking to a woman. <laughs> no, I I have conversations.
1: My characters be talking, having conversations, and I have to write it out.
0: <laughs> wow. You know, I've heard other authors awesome say too. that. Wow. I have geez. conversations. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, then you would have to write. <laughs> Can you tell our off-the-shelf listeners where they can get copies of your books? Um, They're available at any online retailer, any major bookstore. Um,
1: They should be on the shelf. If they're not, just go ask them to order it. Um, All of my books are in
0: national distribution,
1: so wherever books are sold, Books-A-Million, Walmart, everywhere.
0: And if somebody wanted you to come speak at their organization, a book club, a church, any type of organization, would they be able to contact you through your website, WandaBColeman.com?
1: Yes, they can contact me at on my website. It's my email, which is uh,
0: WandaBCampbell
1: at Prodigy.net or via Facebook. Um, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm on those other sites, too, LinkedIn, all those other sites, yeah.
0: Okay, so Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. I was going to ask you about social media networks. So though you, you guys can go out and find Wanda B. Coleman. And, again, we, we, we have had the pleasure of, of of interviewing with her. She is on the road, so we really appreciate her dialing in this morning. She's the author of some of her books, certainly not all. First Sunday in October, that was her first book, Illusions, Right Package, Wrong Baggage, Silver Lining, and her latest on the market is unresolved issues. Liberation is due out the early part of um, uh, the early part of next year, and she's also writing a sequel to Kayla's Redemption, and, and she's working on that on that now. We want to thank Wanda B. Coleman for being here with us today here on Off the Shelf. Please go support her. Her website again is Wanda B. I said Wanda B Coleman. Wanda B Campbell. W A N D A B C A M P B E L L. Please go support her books. They're available in print and ebook. You can get them online. You can get them offline. Again, if you don't if you don't see the books on the shelves, it's the same with Love Pour Over Me. All you have to do is go ask the clerk that you want to get a book by Wanda B Campbell. Give them the title or with Love For Over Me, Love For Me by Denise Turney. They can order it for you from, from the distributors who carry the books, and then they'll, the bookstore will just call you and tell you that your book is in, and you can come in and pick it up. So please go out and, and support these these books. And come back next Saturday, 11 o'clock again, 11 o'clock uh, Eastern Standard Time, will bring you another phenomenal guest here on Off The Shelf every Saturday morning at 11 o'clock support Wanda B. Campbell. You can follow her on the social media networks, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, etc., and keep up with what she is doing through her website, through her micah Eight books. She's, this is a woman who has a lot going on. Thank you, thank you, thank you Wanda. To our listeners, as I always tell you, remember you are awesome you are and you're just incredibly blessed you are amazing go out and create a fabulous day for yourself please tell everybody to tune in to off the shelf saturdays 11 o'clock bye for now wanda i shoot your email okay